Thank you, Jesus. Um, <clears throat> indeed, uh, that you love us unconditionally. Indeed, uh, that you've given us everything we need, which is yourself. Thank you, Lord, that the reward of the believer is you. You are our exceeding great reward. Lord, and we receive you. We receive you into our bodies, into our lives. We receive you, Jesus, because you first loved us when we were still the enemies of God. When we had no hope, you loved us. And now we have hope abundantly, an exceeding great hope, because our hope is in you. Jesus, you are our rock. You are our savior. You are the good shepherd. And our expectation is always in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. As Derek said in the beginning, where is the house of God? Where is the house of God? In our bodies. That is where God dwells. That's where he lives. That's where he fellowships with us in intimacy is in our bodies. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to start off by, um, can you see that? I want to start off by making a, a statement, and that statement is that my faith determines my reality or my truth. Now we know that there is an absolute truth, which is the faith of God. What God believes is the absolute truth. There is no getting around that. What does God believe? God believes that Jesus did everything that was required to take the law away from us, to enable us to stand before God in boldness, receiving from Him its very quality of life for free. God gives us holiness for free. He gives us righteousness for free. He gives us blessing for free. That is what God believes and that is the absolute truth. Now, unfortunately, um, if we look at the planet around us, uh, different people believe different things. And that determines their reality or their truth. And we'll take an example. A law-based religion, this is a definition from the Webster's Dictionary, is the belief in man's obligation to, to obey his God's commands in a state of reward and punishment. So a law-based religion requires sacrifice or, rel or religious duties, believing that it accomplishes something. So for a lot of people on this planet, their reality is their faith. Their faith determines their reality, which says that they are in a, a relationship with a God that requires sacrifice or disobedience in exchange for something. And if I don't obey this God, there will either be a punishment, eternal punishment. If I do obey Him, there will be a reward. That is, that is the reality that a lot of people on this planet live by. But the, the absolute reality, the absolute truth of God is that no matter what we do, we are blessed. Through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in the completed, finished work of Jesus, we are blessed, free from what we do, free from what we do not do. That is the reality of God. If we look at Hinduism, Hinduism believes in a lot of sacrifices. They sacrifice all kinds of stuff to their gods. Buddhism believes that giving things up is important. As I sacrifice, as I give certain things up, 
that will enable me to grow spiritually. That's what Buddhism believes. If we look at Islam, they've got what I call zakat, which is giving of one's savings to the poor and needy. They've got a hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca. And they fast and practice self-control during Ramadan, thinking that that will give them certain blessings and will give them points with God so that if God comes again, they will receive eternal life. Now what comes next? Christianity, based on laws, believes in tithes and offerings to obtain blessing from God. Offering up a confession for forgiveness. Any prayer, if I believe that I have to pray and confess my sins in order for God to forgive me, that's a sacrifice that I want to bring. And people believe that if they do not pray that prayer, God doesn't forgive them. The good news is that the very act of Jesus upon dying on a cross has given us forgiveness for free, whether we confess our sins or not. We are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And some Christians believe in fasting for a breakthrough. So the very faith that people live by determines their reality that they see in their lives. No matter that the absolute truth, the absolute reality of God is a completed, finished work of Jesus Christ, people still grovel around following a law-based system of religion everywhere on this planet. I'll give you another example of faith that determines reality. Yesterday we were, uh, I actually sent uh, Derek a picture of this book. We were in a, um, a shopping mall and there was this big advertisement for a book in a Christian bookstore. It was like 1.8 meters tall. This, this advertisement. The title of the book is Prayer Warrior. It says, A war is going on between good and evil and every believer is involved. It says, The power of praying your way to victory. It says, Just pray and trust God to do the rest. That is what prayer warriors do. Now, for the lady who wrote that book, and people who read that book and believe what she says, that is their reality. Their reality is that there's a continual war that they are involved in. A war between good and evil. A war between Satan and the angels of God. If I switch on uh, uh, Christian radio stations, they talk a lot about the old enemy. What is Satan doing in your life and how can you resist him? And how can you overcome the very thing that Satan wants to do in your life. But, what does Colossians 2, 14 say? Talking of the work of Jesus. Blotting out <clears throat> the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers... He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So, the work that Jesus did on the cross was a completed, finished work. In the work that Jesus did on the cross, He destroyed the law system, which is the power of Satan. Without the law system, Satan has no power over anyone. Amen. Since we came into grace in 2009, I have not given Satan any fault. None whatsoever. He's not part of my daily life. He's not part of my life at all. I don't even consider him. 
Because Jesus utterly defeated Satan upon the cross. The very power that Satan had was the law system, which destroyed man. And in the act of Jesus dying upon a cross, dying the life of a man, we subject to a law system, that power of Satan was destroyed. Utterly destroyed. But what happens is, the faith of people determines their reality, and people believe that Satan has power over them, and then what happens? People believe that they are in a continual battle against Satan, and they will keep on battling something that their faith has risen up from the grave, yes, sir. Yeah. and they will live a tired life always battling Satan for everything. The difficulties that we have in our lives is because we live in a fallen world. If I lose my job, if I become sick, I live in a fallen body that is not yet glorified. I live in a fallen system, a worldly system that is run by money, that affects my daily life. Jesus said, in this world you will have many difficulties, but be of good cheer, for I have already overcome the world. So when we stand in this world, we stand in the power of Jesus who have overcome the world. And the difficulties we have in this life is not because of Satan, it's because of this life that we live in until Jesus comes again. That is the reality of the absolute truth. Amen. It says, Colossians 2.15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, to spoil means to wholly put off from oneself, denoting separation. Wholly to strip off for one's own advantage. He made a show to make an example of them openly triumphing to make an acclamatory procession to conquer. It's a compound from a word which means to frighten. So what did Jesus do to Satan upon the cross? The power of Satan was in the law system. That power has been wholly put off from man. It's been wholly separated from us. It has no power left over us. It's been wholly stripped off from us. And we are new people, new creations. The old is gone and the new has come through the power of Jesus Christ. And that was done for our advantage. Jesus made an example of the powers and principalities that ruled over man that destroyed man. He made an example of them. He took them along in a victory procession. He put the fear of God in them. That's what he did. Now, you may say, but Scripture says, resist the devil. Now, I'm very glad you asked that question. <laughs> because then we can look at the verse that contains that Scripture. James 4 verse 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, sorry, I just need some more here. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? 
But he gives more grace, wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What the scripture is talking about, adulterers and adulteresses, is people mixing law and grace. That's what an adulterer is. Jesus set us free, we are married to Jesus. People become adulterers when they start flirting with the law system again, saying that if I do this thing, God will bless me. That's an adulterer. That's what he's talking about. Now you know that friendship of the world is enmity with God. If you read Colossians 2, verse 20 to 23, it clearly says that the world uh, is a system of ordinances or laws. So friendship with the world is to be the friend of a law system, to believe in a law system. To be a friend of the world is to believe in a system where I say that what I do determines what I, the blessing that I receive, what I have in this life determines my standing with God. That's a law system. Friendship with the world is being an adulterer. It's not talking about drinking wine, going to watch a rugby game, watching TV. That's not what being a friend of the world is. A friend of the world is to believe in a law system, a system of reward and punishment, a religious system in terms of God. That's what friendship of the world is. Wherefore so, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Verse 6, but he gives more grace, talking of God. Wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. A proud person is a person who says that if I do this thing, I will obtain a reward from God. That's a proud person. That's a person standing in pride. Saying, believing that I can do something to make God happy with me. That is pride. Because a humble person knows and believes that he cannot do anything to please God. He knows and he believes that Jesus did everything to please God on my behalf. And as Jesus is, so am I. I am seated with Jesus in heavenly places, free from what I do. That is a humble person. To the proud person, God resists the proud. He resists those who want to do anything to please Him, but He gives grace, which is His influence, which is His power, to those who are humble, to those who are willing to receive the Spirit, the influence of God. That is what the Scripture says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit myself to the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. Submit myself to God who wants to give everything to me for free. And resist the devil. What does it mean to resist the devil? To resist the law system that Satan lives by, that he died by, that he was destroyed by. Resist that law system that wants to pull me back into a place where I believe that I, by what I do I please God. That by what I do I receive the favor of God. Resist the system that says I have to continually battle to get something from God in a continual battle with Satan so that he might be overcome. That if I resist that doctrine, that theology, that teaching, I'm resisting Satan. I don't resist Satan by not having a glass of wine. I resist Satan by not believing in his system. That's what it means to resist the devil. I'm very glad you asked that question. My faith determines my reality. The dynamics of understanding that I have influences my faith. Some of us start off in fellowship with a loving father that is destroyed by law. 
I start off and I have intimacy with a loving God. I come into church buildings and people start preaching a law system to me. And this intimacy that I have, this picture that I have of a loving father is destroyed by me believing, hearing and understanding all of a sudden that God is a God who might be angry with me if I don't do something. That God is our taskmaster who's given me 10 talents and if I don't increase that to 20, he's going to take them all away. And the very intimacy, the very life that I found in intimacy with a loving father is destroyed by me believing a law system. But as I start hearing, understanding and believing the correct gospel, my fellowship with a loving father is restored. Some of us might start off in law, a relationship with God based on fear of death or hell. That's where a lot of us might start off with. And we hear and understand and believe the correct gospel. And we open up a door, enter through that door into fellowship with a loving father, into intimacy with a loving God. Through the dynamics of understanding, what we understand when you start hearing and believing the correct gospel, what we understand as we start reading the Bible based on correct theology, based on correct doctrine. And all of a sudden, a book that was close to me, that was darkness to me, is like a shining light to me because I understand the very thing that the Bible is saying. And my intimacy with a loving Father is restored. Amen. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15, verse 19, Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he is he that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That means to God to prevent from escaping the commandments of God. What is the commandment of God towards us? What is the commandment of God towards us? The Ten Commandments were not the commandments of God. That was a system that Adam implemented that God wrote down. It's not the commandments of God. So what is the commandment of God to us? How do I obey God? And the answer is in John 6, John 6, 28. And these are people speaking to Jesus. Then said they unto him, Jesus, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. The commandment of God to us is to believe in Jesus Christ. Finish and claw. That's it. You believe in Jesus, that you are obeying the commandments of God. If we go back to John 14, verse 20, it says, At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The word in speaks of, it's denoting a position, that is a relation of rest. So I come to rest in the work of Jesus, the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. I come to rest in the love of the Father, and they come to rest in me. 
And where do I begin and where does God begin? We are joined in unity. We are in a, a, a unity, a union of rest. God in me and I in God. And we are in a position of rest. We rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ. 14 verse 21, Jesus says, If you have my commandments and keep, keep them. In other words, if you know that the only thing that I require of you is that you believe in me and you keep that commandment, what will happen? Then I show that I love God. I accept what He has done. I accept His unconditional love because He first loved me. And, and in accepting His love, what will happen? He will love me and He will manifest Himself to me. To manifest means to exhibit in person or disclose by words, to appear, to declare plainly. So if I love God by obeying His commandment, which is to believe in Jesus, I will experience the very love of God. And He will manifest Himself to me. And I, I will be in an intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe by believing in Jesus, accepting His love, accepting His completed work. If we look at John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe on Him whom He has sent. The, the word work means to toil as an effort or occupation by implication an act, a deed or a doing. So the very work, the toil of God was to get us to a place where we can have everything for, fr for free by believing in His Son. That was the work of God. And that work has been completed. Amen. And the final manifestation of that work will be when Jesus comes again and everything will be made new and our bodies will be transformed into glorified, indestructible bodies. That will be the final act of the work of Jesus. And nothing else needs to be done. Amen. Nothing else needs to be done. Which brings us <clears throat> to the law of liberty. Which is actually what we want to talk about today. Is the law of liberty. If we read James. James 1 verse 22. But be you doers of the word... Not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What is this saying? Um, the first thing, Barty preaches a very nice series on the book of James. Go onto his website, download it. He talks about James verse for verse, declaring what the book of James is saying. Now, the book of James were written to uh, Christian believers who were tempted to mix law and grace. So they heard the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They accepted it, but they weren't doers of the word of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a doer of the work of Jesus? To be a doer of the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is to not, to not try to add anything to the completed work of Jesus Christ. If I try to add to what Jesus has done by doing something to please God, I'm not a doer of the word. I'm a doer of the word when I don't add anything to what Jesus has done. Then I'm a doer of the word. So that explains that. Is one who obeys or fulfills the law. One who obeys or fulfills the law. What is the law of God? What did Jesus say in John 14, 19? He said, because I live, you shall live also. Now that is the law of God. Because Jesus lives, we will live. That's the law of God. The law of God is not... Do this thing and you shall have life. The law of God says believe in Jesus and you shall have life. That's the law of God. What does Romans 8 verse 2 say? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So the law of God is the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. That is the law of God. So I do this law by accepting what Jesus has done, by accepting what He gives to me for free. Everything for free. That is what it means to be a doer of the Word. That is what it means to obey or to fulfill the law of God. The law of God is, Jesus has life. If you believe in Him, you will have life. That's the law of God. James 1.23 for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face. The word natural means genesis. It means the source or origin, the lineage or the birth. It's from a Greek word that means fathered or family. So, when I look into what Jesus has done, when I look into the law of life which is in Jesus Christ, what do I see? I see my origin. I see who I am. I see my family. I see my father. I see my source. I see what I was born to be. That is what I see. That is my natural face. My natural face is to have everything for free. To be like Jesus for free. Free from what I do. Everything based on what I believe. That is my natural face. James 1 25. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word perfect means brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. The perfect law of liberty is the law of life in Jesus Christ. That law is perfect. It's been brought to an end. It's been finished. There's nothing wanting necessary to make it complete. So, the law of life that in Jesus Christ, everything that Jesus did has been finished. There's nothing that I need to add to the work of Jesus. That is the perfect law of God. I do not have to do anything to please God. I do not have to do anything to obtain blessing or the favor of God. I do not fear God thinking that if I do not do something, He will punish me. No. The law of life in Jesus Christ is a perfect law. It's been completed, finished. There's nothing that needs to be added onto it. Amen. The victory that Jesus gives to us for free 
is a, a completed ultimate victory. Nothing can be added to it. I do not add to the victory that I experience in this life by praying and fasting, by thinking that I'm a prayer warrior and in that way I'm going to accomplish something in this life. No, I don't do that. I don't live that way. The word liberty. Liberty to do or omit things having no relationship to salvation. It's the word license, the liberty to do as one pleases. The liberty to do as one pleases. The perfect law of liberty. Liberty to do or omit things having no relationship to salvation. What determines salvation? What determines my salvation? What determines my salvation? My faith determines my salvation. What I believe determines my salvation. My faith in the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. Now this definition says, Liberty is the liberty to do or omit things having no relationship to salvation. So, I do not have to tithe to be saved. I do not have to pray three times a day to be saved. I do not have to go to church to be saved. I'm saved based on what I believe. There's things that I do not have to touch to be saved. If people tell me that I have to go to a prayer group to please God, I do not have to do that. If people tell me that I have to give my money to the church, I do not have to do that. Because my faith determines my salvation, not what I do. So liberty is the freedom to do or omit things that has no effect on my salvation. What can I do? I have the license to do everything that I want to do. We'll look at that as we go along. In other words, if I want to go to a rugby match on a Saturday, instead of praying, what impact does that have on my salvation? None whatsoever. But people feel guilty because they don't do certain things to please God, and they live a life based on guilt. But what determines my salvation is not what I do, but what I believe. Amen. The word liberty is from a Greek word which means unrestrained, to go at pleasure, a citizen, not a slave, exempt from obligation or liability. How do we live in this world? We live as people unrestrained, to go at our pleasure. We'll look at that as we go along. I am a citizen in the kingdom of God, not a slave. A Roman citizen had all the benefits of that society. And that's how I live. I'm not a slave in the kingdom of God having to work to please God. I'm a citizen in the kingdom of God. With God as my father, I receive all the benefits of the kingdom of God for free. It's mine for free. I don't even have to pay a tax to receive the benefits of his kingdom. And I'm exempt from obligation or liability. What, What obligation do I have towards God just to believe in His Son? There is no other obligation. I'm not the debtor of God. I don't owe God anything. Amen. 
Now, the law of liberty, if we look at the definition of liberty in Webster's Dictionary, it says, the warlord mind is at liberty when not controlled. Natural liberty, there's no force restraining my actions. Acting as one th thinks fit, without restraint or control, exempt from the controls of others. The restraint of natural liberty is tyranny or oppression. To set at liberty is to deliver from confinement. What is the extent to which God has liberated us? He's totally liberated us. To the point where you are free to do whatever you want to do. That is the point to which God has liberated us. Because the carnal mind, the religious mind, cannot believe that God would set us so free that we can do whatever we want to do. Because a carnal mind, a religious mind, wants a law to tell them what to do to please God. But if we live like that, we are not the family of God. We are not at our point of genesis, at our point of origin, at our point of creation. Our point of creation, our point of genesis is to be like Jesus who is my brother. We have the same source, we have the same origin. I do not live based on laws. I've been totally set free by God who trusts me. Why does He trust me? Because He loves me, He trusts me. God trusts us to live in this world, free from having to be obligated to Him for something. And the carnal mind can never accept the fact that God trusts us to the point where He sets us free totally. Because the carnal mind says, does being set at liberty not give rise to sin? The carnal mind, the religious mind says that cannot be because if you set someone at liberty, they're going to sin. If they can just do whatever they want to do, oh my goodness. Just not say that in church. You know, there's, uh, we, we'll, there, there's a scripture, we'll get to it, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, that says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now I know pastors who are scared of that verse. They don't want that quoted in their churches. They don't want it preached from their pulpits. If they could, they would wipe it out of the Bible. Because just don't say to people that where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. Because then they're just going to run amok. Now the question, does being set at liberty not give rise to sin? This question does not trust the power of a loving God working in us. It does not take into account the power of new birth. Because what happened at the cross? The man who had to live by laws, by pleasing God to get something, that man was killed and destroyed. And as I believe in that work of Jesus, what happens? I become a new creature. I become a new creation, set free from laws, obligations, liabilities. I'm indwelled by the Spirit of God. What fills this body? The power of God. So what manifests in this body? Who manifests in my body? God Himself. As I am set at liberty. Because it is a paradox. People believe that as they do something to please God, they will find life. But the contrary is true. The moment I want to try and do something to please God, I will die. That is the law of God. If you want to do something... To have the same quality of life as God, if you want to do something to obtain eternal life, you will die. That is the law of God. 
It's been that way since forever, and it will be that way forever. The law of God is that if I set my people at liberty and I live in them, free from laws and obligations and demands, then they will have life, and life eternal. So people want to preach do's and don'ts, commandments, a worldly system to people from pulpits are destroying and killing people. That's the truth. Because the moment that people are set free, they find life. The moment that people want to live by laws to please God, they will die. That is the law of God. Amen. Now, I just wrote down a few things. What have we been liberated from? What have we been saved from? The first thing is we were saved and liberated from a law system that dictated to us, that destroyed us. A law system that measured us. We were continually measured by a system that says you're either good enough or you're not good enough. And today you might be good enough, but tomorrow you're not good enough. And this thing continually measured us. And we were never good enough. And we've been liberated from that. Never ever again will there be a measurement applied to the church of God, by God. It will not be done. But what happens is people measure each other. That's why in this place we will never measure each other. We do not look at people and say this one is more important than the other one. This one is tithing 100,000 rands to the church a year, that one's hardly giving anything, so that guy can sit in front, but that guy needs to sit in the back. That's what I did in the book of James. That's what is nobody in front yet. <laughs> Amen. So God doesn't measure people, and we do not measure people. God is not a respecter of persons in the sense that He looks at what you do for Him or not. He doesn't respect what people do in the kingdom of God. He respects people for who they are, His creation. We've been liberated from shame and guilt. No matter what you've done in the past, you've been set free from it. No matter what you did yesterday, if you did some shameful thing yesterday or two years ago, or you did some shameful thing when you were 18 years old, I don't care and God doesn't care. He doesn't care. You've been liberated from shame and guilt. Why? Because a man died on a cross, who was God himself representing us, and forever we can stand before God without shame or guilt. We've been liberated from that. We've been liber liberated from having to perform continually. Just perform, perform, perform. In the world we live in, we have to perform. With God, we don't have to perform. And we can live in peace and rest. We've been liberated from having to obey to be blessed. We don't have to obey to be blessed. Jesus obeyed, we are blessed, period. Finish, Clark. Excuse me. Amen. The yoke of the law has been lifted off our backs. I've even been liberated from myself. If I look in the mirror and I see my own shortcomings, I see my faults, I've been liberated from that. What do I see? I look in the glass, I see the perfect law of liberty, 
I see my Genesis, I see Jesus, and I know as Jesus is, so am I. I've been liberated from myself. I've even been liberated, if I wake up in the mornings and I feel depressed, I've been liberated from that. I do not have to fight that. I surrender to God. I do not have to feel that because I'm depressed, you know, something's wrong with me. No, I just continue in rest and peace. But in a law system, I think because I'm depressed, I've got to take up arms and fight this thing. Yeah. You know, and obtain the victory in the name of Jesus Christ. So now I'm going to fast and pray. And in the end, I'm even more depressed. No, just relax. Rest in the completed, finished work of Jesus. You've been liberated from yourself, from your own emotions, from what you think, from what you feel. We've been liberated. I've been liberated from evaluating, judging others or myself. I don't measure others, I don't measure myself. I don't look at myself thinking what have I done or what, I, what, what haven't I done. You know, this guy was in, with me in high school, look where he is and look where I am. He's a multimillionaire, I've got nothing. I don't evaluate myself based on that. God doesn't and we don't. I've been liberated from fear. I don't fear God. I don't fear what, what God is going to do to me when He comes again and He's going to judge me for stuff that, I, that I've done or that I haven't done. People live in fear of God. No, I've been liberated. Because what will happen when God comes again? What is the judgment of God? Do you believe in His Son or not? That's the judgment of God. That's the only judgment that remains. Do you believe in Jesus or not? I do not have to fear God. I do not fear the unknown. I do not fear tomorrow. I do not fear what's going to happen in the future because I've got a God that loves me unconditionally. Amen. Amen. Final slide. We're done. The law of liberty. But if the ministration of death, talking about the law, the law system that Adam implemented, that God wrote down on the mountain, not God's law. God just wrote it down. Bertie said, said a, um, a good thing some time ago. He said, why did God write down the law? So that someone could come and fulfill it, who is Jesus Christ. If it wasn't written down, it couldn't be fulfilled because no one knew what a thing was. God had to write it down so that Jesus could come and fulfill every requirement of that law that Adam had implemented. Was it the requirement of God that Jesus had to die? No. It was the requirement of the law. Yes. Jesus' death on the cross did not satisfy the righteous character of God. No. Jesus dying on the cross satisfied the requirements of the law that Adam had implemented. God did not kill his son. God did not desire for his son to die. It was the requirement of the law. The law said blood has to flow. So blood did flow upon the cross because of the law. Not because of God. The Father loves His Son and He loves us. God did not kill Jesus Christ. But if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of His countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Verse 15. 
2 Corinthians 3.15, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when he shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is, does it say, there is uh, requirements based on law. There is some things you have to do. No. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as people are set at liberty, freed from the bondage of law, they receive the Spirit of God. And people had glory in the law. That was possible because they did the requirements of the law and according to the law system, they received glory. But if that system had the ability to give glory, how much more does the Spirit of God have the ability and the power to manifest His glory in us? And that can only happen when people are set at liberty. So we do not fear the liberty that God gives us where it says we have a license to do whatever we want to do because what will manifest in us is the glory of God. And that can only happen when we are set at liberty. I will find that I look into a glass and I see the glory of God. And I allow Him to do it. I'm not going to do it. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we come into grace. We come into a place where we are set free. We receive the Spirit of God. And the glory of God manifests in our bodies, in our lives, in our relationships, in my workplace, everywhere, the glory of God, because God is an almighty God. What is there that God cannot do? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. God can do whatever He pleases to do. And He pleases to give you His Spirit and to manifest in you. And if He wants to do that, He's going to stop that from happening. It will happen as we believe in Jesus, in His completed work, and we believe that we've been liberated, it will happen. Whether it happens tomorrow or next week or five years' time, it will happen. And we rest in Jesus. And then just to recap, James 1.25, But whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we look into the perfect law of liberty and we continue therein and our lives will be blessed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, <clears throat> that you have set us free. Thank you, Jesus, that our minds cannot comprehend the freedom that you've given us. But we want to say to you today, Lord, that we accept the liberty that you have given to us. <clears throat> and never again will we go back to a place of slavery. No, we are citizens in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your people that you've set them free, that you've liberated them. Open our hearts and our minds to understand and to comprehend the freedom that you've given us. Lord, thank you that there's no pressure on your people to perform, to do anything, to measure up, to be good enough. 
there's no pressure on them. They can live a carefree life, carefree in the love of God, the unconditional care and love, mercy, goodness of God. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that you are good to us, that you reveal yourself to us as we believe in your Son. Thank you, Lord, that you manifest yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can be intimate with the creator of the universe. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.